6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Ezra, chapters 8 through 10. Let's go before the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, we just praise you and we thank you for this privilege of gathering together in your name. We thank you, Father, for everyone that's here. We do pray, Father, that your purpose would be accomplished in every one of our lives. Help us, Father, to discern your heart. Help us, Father, to be sensitive to what you would have of each of us in the days ahead. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to open that word to our lives and our lives to your word, that in all these things, we might grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, well, we're in the book of Ezra, the third session. We're covering the last three chapters, chapters 8, 9, and 10. Okay, Ezra, chapter 8, verse 1. These are now the chief of the fathers, and this is the genealogy of them that went up with me from Babylon in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. Let's bear in mind that uh, the uh, 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 we started Ezra with the career of Zerubbabel that took the first group, the roughly 50,000. And it's some years later that Ezra is in the picture, and that's, that's where we are now. Ezra is in the picture, and he's bringing a group uh, with him. And uh, uh, he's going to list here the major uh, families. Uh, there are... Um, the direct families, and also some of those that were related to the families that had come many years earlier with Zerubbabel. It's a relatively small group in total, by the way. Zerubbabel took almost 50,000 before, but Ezra's going to take a couple of thousand. There's estimates between two and 4,000, a relatively modest group, if you will. And uh, Zerubbabel's group were, had come 80 years before. As we, as we read the book of Ezra, we forget, or may not be sensitive, that a lot of time has gone by. Zerubbabel, that we talked about in the earlier chapters, was 80 years earlier than the the place we're in now. And bear in mind also, we're in chapter 8. The book of Esther occurs between Ezra 6 and 7. So we're in the middle of the Persian Empire, if you will, and realize that the the drama that makes up the book of Esther uh, is not referenced specifically in in the book of Ezra, but it occurs approximately between uh, chapter 6 and 7. And now we get into these family names. He's going to list a number of these in here. Of the sons of Phineas. You may remember Phineas. Um, he was uh, the... Uh, uh, actually, uh, Gershom is a, a descendant of Phineas. He, uh, he, uh, Phineas was the son of Aaron's third son, Eliezer. And uh, Daniel also was a descendant from Ithamar, Aaron's fourth son, as you see here. Anyway, we have Phineas, Gershom... Uh, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattush, and these are, uh, it goes on with all these names, most of them I will probably mispronounce, and I'll try to think if there's, I'll try to highlight any specific ones that we want to be sensitive to. There's going to be about uh, 1,514 men, 
including 18 heads of families, is what we're going to go through here briefly. And about there's about 18 heads of families and about 1,496 other men for a total of about 1,772. But they're not counting women and children. So guessing, it's probably they all they probably represent a total group somewhere between two, obviously no less than 2,000, maybe as many as four or five thousand is the general estimate. But we went through the 50,000 you may recall back in chapter two of Ezra. Okay, and of the sons of Phineas, excuse me, of the sons of uh, Shechaniah and the sons of Ferosh, Zechariah, and with him were reckoned by genealogies of the males 150. And of, of the sons of uh, Pahatha Moab, or something like that, <laughs> Elahihani, the son of Zerahiah, and uh, with him 200 males, of the sons of uh, Shechaniah, the son of Jehaziel, and with him 300 males, of the sons of Adin, and on it goes. I, I, I'd rather just mess up all the pronunciations. It goes through these heads of families, right on through, uh, through verse, um, well, let's go down to about verse 14, actually. Uh, I'm skimming my notes here. I, I see no particular um, meaningful things to add. Some of the names are familiar to you, but they're not the same. Like there's a Zechariah, it's a different guy. Um, a number of these names are common names. That's why they have the family affiliation, and they're not necessarily the ones that you read about elsewhere in the Scripture. So we, anyway, we get down here to uh, verse 15. I gathered them together to the river that runneth to Ahava, and there abode we in tents three days, and I viewed the people and the priests, and found there none of the sons of Levi. It's very strange. The Levites, of course, were um, the teachers of the law. They were very, very essential to uh, to the whole program here because they're trying to reestablish a, a covenant community. And uh, the people need to understand the importance of the law. And they had all kinds of uh, uh, highly disciplined ministerial requirements uh, for the temple service, and the Levites were essential. And it's very strange that they're very light on Levites, not a lot of light, not a lot of Levites. And uh, we're going to discover that uh, when they leave Ahava, there are... No sons of Levi present, and they're going to have to go to some lengths to try to, to, to find some. We're not sure where Ahava is, by the way. Uh, scholars aren't sure. We do know it's about 100 to 130 miles from Babylon. And uh, it could very well have been just a, a tributary of the Euphrates. And uh, it's interesting, even Zerubbabel, this, uh, you know, the, the, these you know, years before, had comparatively few Levites on his return. That was back... Uh, Chapter two, less than one and a half percent of the forty-nine thousand, we'll call it fifty thousand, were uh, uh, of Levites. So um, anyway, let's go to uh, verse sixteen. Then sent I uh, for Eliezer, for Ariel, for Shemaiah, uh, for, for uh, El Nathan, and for Jerib, and for El Nathan, and for Nathan, and for Zechariah, and for Meshulam, and chief men, and it goes on with some more here, and. Uh, and I sent them with commandment unto Edo, the chief of the place at Casaphia. And I told them what they should say to Edo and to his brethren, the Nethanims, at the place Casaphia, and that they should bring unto us ministers for the house of our God. In other words, Ezra took nine of the leaders and two men of learning to secure some Levites and some temple servants um, to to uh, to uh, officiate, and uh, he told them what to say exactly, which implies that somehow this must have been a very delicate task. 
and needed some weight behind it. And uh, these 11 messengers were sent to Casaphia, but we're not sure where that is either. The scholars are not sure. They've done some research, but it's, it's, it's not clear. And so, uh, and by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Mahli, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, and Sherebiah, and his sons and his brethren, 18. And Hashabiah with him, Jeshishiah, of the sons of Marai, and his brethren and their sons, 20. And also of the Nethanims, you may recall, it's a conjecture, but from the way they're referred to, we suspect that this is a, a contemporary name at those days for the Gideons. Uh, remember the ones that, uh, the, uh, not the Gideon, the, no, the, the Gibeonites that were made the deal with Joshua that uh, end up being, uh, uh, you know, serving Israel. And these may be, we think, some people, some scholars think they're the descendants of the uh, Gibeonites. So, anyway, whom David and the princes had appointed for service of the Levites, 220 Nethanims, all of them were expressed by name. The Nethanims are kind of strange because on the one hand they seem to be qualified to serve in the temple and yet uh, normally that's not done unless they're actually sons of Levi. So there's, there's some scholastic ambiguity as to what the background is there. But uh, it appears that they, have th- they were able to secure 38 Levites from two families here, 18 from Sherebiah's and 20 from Jeshishai's relatives, as well as 220 temple servants, wherever these guys really come from. And now, only now was Ezra ready to depart on the important journey. And uh, so, see, without Levi, enough Levites on the trip uh, and people serving the temple, all that would be lost, and the trip would be a waste of time. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. First thing that Ezra does, now that he's got his gang together, is to prepare for the journey. And he's concerned, of course, because the whole issue are the matters of the people before God. So he's uh, he's going to uh, proclaim a fast to spiritually prepare for what they're uh, undertaking, to humble themselves and uh, seek spiritual um, uh, guardianship over the, the, the trip. Verse 22, For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So Ezra is kind of an interesting jam. He's grandstanded before the king that they're trusting the Lord. So he didn't have the nerve to ask for guards, a military escort. Nehemiah, some 70 years later, is going to have no hesitation. He's going to end up with military guard and all kinds of, uh, of support. But Ezra declined that because he it sort of, in his mind, I guess you might, the way we might phrase it, would be a bad witness. They're grandstanding that God is behind this, you know. Now you need to understand, they're carrying, enor- <clears throat> they will be carrying enormous valuables. They've rounded up all kinds of offerings from the, the Babylonians uh, that are there. They're in Babylon, getting ready to come back to, to Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, they've, they've gotten offerings from their friends and neighbors. They've got, uh, you know, it'll be listed here shortly. Um, so they have some risk from brigands and, and uh, what have you. So it's a serious, it's understandable that Ezra is very concerned. But he doesn't express that concern to the king to get guards because that would be, that would sort of be 
uh, inconsistent with the way he grandstanded, if you may recall from the earlier chapters, before the king. So it goes on. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. Okay, verse 24. Then I separated twelve of the chief of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brethren with him, and weighed unto them the silver and the gold and the vessels, even the offering of the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. A couple of remarks about that. You notice the word Israel. There are people that like to argue that the word Jew refers to Judah and Israel are the ten tribes that got lost somehow. And one of the things you need to understand is over 40 times in Ezra, the terms are used interchangeably. And uh, so here we're talking about those that are in the Babylonian captivity and the term all Israel is used there. One of the things I want to sensitize you to is that Paul was a Benjamin and an Israelite, Romans 11.1. Peter, in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, speaks of uh, those of Judah, of Israel, and of all Israel. In other words, he uses the terms interchangeably. Peter does, James does, Paul does, and so on. So be careful. There are people that it's very, very important to be precise in the Scripture and, and be sensitive to the, the distinctions that are intended. It's also very important not to create distinctions where there are none. There are places in the, there are places in the Scripture that speaks of the kingdom of God, another place the kingdom of heaven. You'll discover that Matthew and Luke use those terms for the same thing. So some people make distinctions, and and uh, just I'm not I, I don't want to get into all that here. Other than just be careful to be make to be sensitive to distinctions where they exist, but also not to create distinctions where none, where none are intended. But in any case, here we have the commingling of the Israelites that are slaves in Babylon, but now freed under Cyrus's decree. Many of which are just going to stay there because they're quite comfortable. Many are going to migrate back to re-establish re the nation uh, in Jerusalem. This is, this is also a lot of material. We'll sum it up here in a minute. Verse 26, I even weighed unto their hands 650 talents of silver, silver vessels of 100 talents, and of gold 100 talents, and, and 20 basins of gold, 1,000 drams of two vessels of fine copper, precious as gold, um, and I said unto them, Ye are holy unto the Lord, the vessels are holy also, and the silver and gold are a free will offering unto the Lord, the God of your fathers. And uh, now, these, see, these all these gifts were gifts uh, um, for the temple, given by Persian officials, um, as well as by Israelites that were not planning to return. Many of them are just going to stay there in the Babylonian region. Twenty-five tons of silver is involved, and uh, silver articles weighing three and three-quarter tons. Three and three quarter tons of gold, twenty bowls of gold, and so on. This, this is this it would be in many, many millions of dollars in our in our economy, and uh, so and so you can understand why Ezra was a bit concerned for their safety. It says, "Watch ye and keep them until ye weigh them before the chief of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the fathers of Israel at Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord." So took the priests and the Levites the weight of the silver and gold and vessels to bring them to Jerusalem unto the house of the Lord. And uh, so they apparently acquitted themselves faithfully. The key men were in charge. They, they weighed before they went. They're going to be weighed when they get there to see if there's any shrinkage. And apparently wasn't. They were all weighed on arrival and apparently just fine. So verse 31. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go on to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy. 
of such as lay in wait by the way. And we came to Jerusalem and abode there three days. So they take three days before they get on with it. And then verse 33, On the fourth day was the silver and the gold and the vessels weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. And with them was Jozebad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui, the uh, all Levites. By number and by weight of every one, and all the weight was written at that time. So, so that looks like that all went well. Now, they left the Ahava Canal on the twelfth of the same month, but they were in the canal. They were at the canal three days. The site of the uh, encampment then of Ahava was about nine days' travel from Babylon. So we know it's some location. 100 to 130 miles away, but scholars have not been able to nail it down. The total journey was about 900 miles and must have been difficult for the group, especially without a military escort. And uh, But they were um, um, content to just rely on the Lord, and, and indeed it went well. And uh, after a three-day rest, they took inventory and everything was fine. And uh, so several of these officials, by the way, are also mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. Merimoth, Jezebel, and Binui, which imply, see, uh, uh, even though they're separate books, the 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 uh, activities of Ezra and Nehemiah overlap. And uh, verse thirty-five. Also, the children of those that had been carried away, which were come out of the captivity, offered burnt offerings unto the God of Israel: twelve bullocks for all Israel, ninety and six rams, seventy and seven lambs, twelve he goats for a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. I want you to notice how many bullocks were there? Anyone? Twelve. Why? Can't hear you. One for each tribe. There weren't ten lost, is my point. Okay? There were at least representatives of all twelve. And uh, 96 rams. And on it goes. Okay. And they delivered the king's commissions unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors on this side of the river. And they furthered the people and the house of God. Now, it's a, a copy of the king's edict it was given to each of the uh, the uh, Persian officials there, so they knew they had authority. And so they helped carry out the wishes, uh, the king's wishes, under Ezra's leadership. And this causes the surrounding peoples to assist the Jewish community. It's interesting that this uh, chapter really ends with a... a, a Interesting climax that God's hand is so evident on these uh, on these people that even the surrounding peoples help help them with their their uh, ministerial activities. Okay, we're in chapter nine. Now that all sounds pretty good; things are going well, except uh, again they're losing sight of what they should be doing. Let's uh, let's just jump in here. We're going to discover that uh, this thing, this next section, this next chapter, just opens up with. Um, a statement about the severe sin in which the people had fallen. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, The people of Israel, notice it doesn't say Jews, it's Israel, okay? And yet we're obviously, we're talking about Jerusalem, we're talking about the, 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 the bulk of this is the southern members of the southern kingdom. But anyways, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. In other words, what they're doing is exactly what caught them, got them to into the Babylonian captivity in the first place, some 
more than seven years earlier. And so that's the, that's the thing that they're facing here. Verse 2, For they have taken of their daughters for themselves. In other words, they're, they're intermarrying with the, with the pagan surrounding the tribal units. They've taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that they, the holy seed, have mingled themselves with the people of these lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And the first person singular, Ezra is now speaking of himself as a player. He's been, he's been acting as a historian, but now that you can tell he's a participant. He says, when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and sat down astonished. So he's upset. And, uh, when he said that, you know, the princes, the leaders came to me, that implies that these were probably men that had returned under the leadership of Zerubbabel so many decades before and established themselves uh, as leaders and they've been looking into the problem. And, they, and uh, obviously with Ezra coming back, this apparently caused them to, uh, to uh, come to terms with the fact that they'd fallen from what they were supposed to be doing. And they realized something had to be done if the nation was going to enjoy fellowship with the Lord. The whole reason they came back, the whole exercise, was to reestablish a, relation, a national relationship with the God of the Covenant. And uh, they've got to do something about it if they're going to reestablish. See, the outward sacrifices are fine, but they um, need to be in, in, uh, accompanied by an inward conformity to God's laws. And uh, that's what Hosea 6, verse 6, you can add to your notes. Emphasize Micah 6, verses 6 through 8, etc. So these Jewish leaders are telling Ezra that the problem is that some of the Israelites have been involved with their pagan neighbor, neighbor's detestable practices, and also that they include even Mary, marrying them. You need to realize that one of God's primary prohibitions was that his people were not to marry outside the community of believers. That's in Exodus 34, and Deuteronomy 7 emphasizes that. And it's not because of racial differences. It's strictly because of... Because uh, both, the, both the, they were all of the s- same race, Semitics. And, no, it's strictly religious. If God's people married outside the uh, outside of Israel, it, that's what got them in trouble in the first place with Solomon doing that very thing, taking on the foreign wives. And that, thus, then that quickly get them, gets them caught up in pagan idolatry and idolatrous worship. And uh, so... The, uh, the fact that they uh, married people who did not worship Jehovah uh, was symptomatic of the way the people regarded the other aspects of the law. If they would break that aspect of the law, that's the most intimate of personal relationships, they'd probably break the law in less intimate relationships as well. Now the people that were listed in the first verse of this chapter are the very ones that they were warned about before in Deuteronomy 7, as well, of course, as the surrounding nations as Ammon, Moab, and Egypt, and so forth. But uh, anyway, obviously, Elijah's response is uh, typical of the prophets of the Old Testament, if you will, tearing his tunic and cloak and pulling his hair and so on, an expression of extreme grief and anger. Verse 4, Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening, 
And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities have increased over our head and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. You notice he's praying for the nation, but he's including himself in that. He's, he's identifying himself as, as being responsible for that guilt. And uh, since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hand of kings of our lands to the sword and to captivity and to a spoil and to confusion of face as it is this day. And uh, he's reacting with terms like, <coughs> he's ashamed, disgraced. See, apparently, what's grieving him is, in part, is the exile in Babylon. The seven years captivity hadn't done, hadn't cured them of what they were sent there because of. They, they were sent there because of this very thing. They've been 70 years in exile from the land. Now they've had a chance to return to the land. And they're back at it. Just like before. And uh, he, he speaks of it like a flood that has you know, engulfed them, higher than their heads, the, the sins that they're into. Verse 8, And now for a little space, grace hath been showed from our Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in this holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. For we were bondmen. See, they're in bondage again. They're free of Babylon, but they're in bondage to sin. That's what he's alluding to. God hath not forsaken us in our bondage and hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Ezra. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.